Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Big Handful of Cocaine for You. Turn to oh, on bbgwrestling.com. Big Handful of Cocaine for You. It's time to take out the trash. We can get through this bullshit if we're all really high. I am Pablo. Woo! I, 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 I am Pablo. The first ever Miss Rumble 2000! Well, from the little turd to the big turd, good luck. And with me is the Council Estate Cowboy. My vocal tone. And with me is the Cho Cho Chosen One. Those suplex attack nearly poofed him into dust. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Turn Chuckle on Grapple Arcade. I am Pablo, and with me is the narcissist to my narcissist. It's Tempest. Hello. <laughs> well, hello. How are you doing? I'll be your hero. <laughs> You've got the mullet for it. <laughs> I'm telling you, we need to do like a, a music video where we recreate the Lex Express and like, record a cover of that song because no one will have ever covered that. Like on the 97 to the Metro Centre or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, you would have thought someone would have covered that by now. Everything's been covered, but I don't think that has. And I don't know who sang it either. So um... No, and he, just, he sounds like a Michael Bolton impersonator. <laughs> Yeah, I would like to think it was written specifically for that, but I'll always get the feeling that they've got like a hundred songs just on, you know, the back burner, just in the library, just to use for any situation. Like they always had the wedding song for Savage and Liz. They'd always bust that out for whoever was getting married. And uh, yeah, they probably had that hero song stored away. Like they, had, they had the Big Show song stored before they had the Big Show, didn't they? Did they really? <laughs> It was just a, it was just something Michael Hayes had recorded, I think. Like they had the glorious song before they had glorious Bobby Root. You know what I mean? That's amazing. It's mad. I didn't know that. There must be some class shit in that archive. Yeah, there must. Be. <laughs> I always like. No, I don't uh, use it. <laughs> um, I always loved the uh, the Orient Express theme that they, they used for everyone. It was like number fifty six. Anyone on the, Asian? Yeah, number fifty six <laughs> on the Casio keyboard. Just the. <laughs> but for some reason, they overdubbed it. Vaguely on... racist, eighty shit. <laughs> yeah, they overdubbed it on like um, on. Anthology releases, it's like surely that is stock music. <laughs> Are you gonna tell me someone put a copyright claim in on that shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, we if you'd asked us about four or five years ago when I started doing podcasts, when well, when I thought I wanted to get in the radio a long time ago, um, I realized I wouldn't be any good because I didn't know enough about enough different subjects to talk about them at length entertainingly enough, except wrestling. And it didn't even occur to us that you could have a show to talk about wrestling at length. That just didn't seem like a thing. Uh, But if you'd asked us about five years ago when I decided to start a podcast, why would you start a podcast? It would be to chat with you know one of my best mates about Royal Rumble 1993, which uh, no one would go out of the way to talk about. So I really appreciate the charity (laughs) you let, (laughs) let me talk about Royal Rumble 1993 for a bit. Um, <laughs> it will it will have passion and lots of facts and everything else. And I'm I'm very excited to see what you think about it as well because I know you you must have watched this before. I have seen this before. I mm-hmm. a long time ago though. A long time ago was it, would it been like a tag classic or would it been video or? No, it would have been a tag classic. This one. Mm-hmm. The tag classic came with the 1994 Royal Rumble, um, which I had actually seen the old tape of. Funnily enough, the 94 one. 
Nice. That was one of the. That's fir- like your leg from under your leg. <laughs> yeah, rumble, isn't it? That was the first event where um, I badgered my mate's mother into recording it, um, <laughs> and I remember her recording it, but not on long play. So by the time Donk just about comes out, and then the tape friggin' stops, doesn't it? So, oh um, no, yeah. Not it was good. worse as when someone taped on long play and then you had a, a VHS player that didn't play long play. <laughs> like, no! I had that happen before with the pay-per-view. I forgot that some VHS players didn't play long play. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, I won won the poverty contest this time. <laughs> well, Royal Rumble 94 on the... Um, we'll get into 93, just one very odd obscure fact about 94 and I, I talked to the, uh to james uh from silver vision and he will be coming back on the podcast at some point um Woo! yeah uh like i didn't badger him enough the first time with every question <laughs> but uh royal rumble 94 on the Thai classic for whatever well not for whatever reason there's only so much space you can fit on a dvd on a single disc uh so they had to cut out small things that I think they could have cut out from like another part of the event and it would have like been went unnoticed, but they actually cut out Diesel throwing Billy Gunn out of the ring. He's like picks him up and then all of a sudden he's disappeared. And there must uh, be an entrance you could clip short or something rather than that. <laughs> well, they put the countdown on, they put the countdown on in its entirety when they could have cut like I would have forgiven them for cutting like five seconds of Todd Pettengill out for you know an actual elimination in the Royal Rumble. Um, oh, I'm going to grassy it to Todd. <laughs> I, know, I know. Well, at the end as well, when they shown the replay of Lex and Brett going over the top rope over and over, um, it cuts Aye. out halfway through a sentence as well because the event's just too frigging long. Um, so yeah, Royal Rumble 93 uh, from Sacramento, California at the Arco Arena. When I was in LA a few years ago, I wanted to go to the Arco Arena and they were like, it would take you eight hours to get there. And I was like, yeah, even I'm not, you know, unless no, there's like... A, yeah, unless it's like a monument to the narcissist's unveiling or something like that. I, you know, I don't need to go to some random, probably quite bland-looking arena. Uh, Isn't it funny say- when you just, like, don't know geography of places? It's like imagining it here. Someone, like, comes and lands here and they're like, right, okay, now I'm just going to go to St. Mary's Stadium in Southampton. <laughs> like, eh, that's not just on the bus ride, like. <laughs> <laughs> um. So with the Royal Rumble uh, 1993, that time period, and we talked about this uh, when we've been talking about the Monday Night Raws, it's such a transitional period for WWF because Brett, Survivor Series in particular, they like Bulldog was gone, Warrior was gone, LOD were gone, Hogan wasn't there, they had to bring Perfect back. There were so many names that they had to like introduce in a short amount of time and so many replacements that they had to make in random title changes and stuff like that. So Survivor Series, it's kind of one of those kind of forgotten events, but I think by Roy Rumble, because Brett was so over, that he was able to establish himself by, as champion by then. But I still think they were taking a bit of a risk putting a relative newcomer in Razor Ramon in the title picture. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I can say that, yeah. It's something that I think is really good, but it's not very WWE, so that's what makes this new generation type era. I know this is before they call it new generation, but this really feels totally different to the stuff that came even a year before. Mm-hmm. They, they had to rely on new stuff, and they were bringing in names <coughs> from WCW at that point and were able to largely, you know, 
put a fresh coat of paint on them and stuff like that. I mean, the, the story generally is that Brett was meant to face Warrior at Royal Rumble 93, which would have been an interesting match, but I don't know if it would have what it may be too much of a clash. I mean, they never faced in mm. WCW, did they? Um, wasn't there a tag match? Oh, when yeah, team was I think there? it was, Ho- yeah, and I think it's Hogan and Brett <coughs> on the other side. That's interesting because I, I think Warrior, if he was ever in the ring with Brett in WWF, it probably would have been like that late 87, early 88, maybe at Royal Rumble 88 because we're both in that match together, but like very just short, uh, short ships in the night that like, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's what I like about this event as well. All this time period that there's a lot of ships in the night where people were leaving, people were coming in, and it's always interesting mm. to me to see people that you didn't expect to see in the ring together. Like there's footage of Warrior in the ring with Brett when he was champion. So it was like maybe a week before Warrior had uh, left. Um, oh wow! And I have Warrior versus Brett had to be a, a would have been a face versus face match. I don't think they would have ever turned Warrior. Um, He's no. just one of those true calling cards. Like they would never really have turned Hogan or um, no. once Savage turned face again, I don't think they would have turned Savage face again, uh, turned them heel again or anything like that. But uh, but Warrior was gone by the time of Royal Rumble 93. Um, on the original poster for Royal Rumble 93, there's a lot of faces that don't end up being there, uh, like Nails, who's gone uh, the previous December uh, for choking out Vince and then accusing him of sexual harassment, which like I still can't say without you know, slightly, <laughs> slightly of all the things to say like, <laughs> try to tickle me hoop <laughs> well, I have a feeling I mean, Nails was going to be in the rumble because he was on the poster, so at some point I feel that the Nails Undertaker standoff might have happened at some point um, during that match uh, Duggan's on the poster, but again, he I mean, he wasn't storyline injured at this point by Yoko, but I guess they'd already decided to write him off TV. Crush was on the poster, and he had already been attacked by Doink at this point. Um, and there was like people like Lance Cassidy, who uh, was going to be in the Rumble. He was uh, who the hell is Lance Cassidy? He was uh, Steve Armstrong. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, and and he didn't last long at all. Um, I, w- I know it's awful, but I always get the the Armstrong brothers mixed up. Steve was the one with the long hair, wasn't he? While that's while that's Southern Boys. Aye, I believe yeah, yeah. so, but also I'm very easily confused. <laughs> well, he had a kind of a country music gimmick. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say because they didn't really emphasize it enough, and he wasn't there long enough. <laughs> to explain what it was. He just had a long mullet and leather jacket and he was a baby face. Nice I and feel simple. like I would have appreciated that character. <laughs> Sounds like a WCW mid-card face. <laughs> it was very un-WWF-like at that point, but they were bringing in a lot of names. Like I said, they brought in Max Moon, uh, Damien Demento. I mean, they were really kind of... I think they realised they also had to flesh out the undercard quite a bit. And mm. uh, they, brought, they did bring in a lot of names. And it's, it's kind of weird to think. But at Royal Rumble 93, there was a lot of newcomers in that Rumble. Like Jerry Lawler, he had only been around for a month at this point. And I think Rumble, Rumble 93 might have been his first match in the WWF. Like It's certainly the first one that I saw. Um, so, yeah, just a very, very interesting event. Um, one match that was advertised for Royal Rumble 93, which didn't happen, uh, and I'll bet you'll be good about this, Max Moon against Terry Taylor. 
Um, <laughs> the space adver- cockroach. <laughs> it's advertised on TV, and it's actually it's in the program, and it even makes its way onto the back of, I believe, the German VHS. Um, but it's not on the event at all. Um, but both are in the Royal Rumble. Um, I mean, it may have been cut on the night for time restraints. I mean, that Luger promo went on for quite a while. Oh, God, didn't it? <laughs> Did Bobby Heenan just frothing himself into a more and more homoerotic frenzy as it goes on? It's mm-hmm. bizarre, that. And we had to have Julius Caesar come out and do a 10-minute promo as well, but we'll get into... We'll oh, get into my God, as well. You, you're really selling this pay-per-view, aren't you? I was going to say, people have this image of 1993, like it's all shite. And it's like a go-to thing where people say that opinion as if it's a fact. And I'll I'll admit, when it's shit, it's an absolute whole steaming, exploding outhouse. And, but then you often get the rest of it, it'll be really good. And I think this is a really good example of it, that this event. I, I, when I watched it, I thought, well, I don't remember this being that bad. Mm. But when I watched it, I was like, shit, this is actually really good. And then there were a few bits that happened. I was just like, what the fuck am I looking at now? <laughs> but it's like, those bits are so bad. That that can prove Vince's old adage, you know, where he's like, oh, they only remember how it ends. Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably why a lot of people think this and Mania 9 both <laughs> suck. But it's just because they're remembering the endings. And and SummerSlam 93, to be fair. Yeah, true. <laughs> this is the year of fucking dire endings. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, as well, Royal Rumble '93 has a has a very tough act to follow in Royal Rumble '92 with um, not just with how good the Rumble is, but with the level of names that are in the Rumble. But that oh, means that's one of my favorite Rumble matches. I don't know. I don't mean like pay per view, but the match itself. I love that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously the flair, Fred running throughout it, but. I think that makes people forget the level of talent that's actually in the 1993 Royal Rumble, but some of them have slightly more ridiculous gimmicks at this point. Um, there were, you know, in everyone... the open with Flair and Backland, like it's that you talk about names. It's There's two re- former world champions there. It really is forgotten. Like some of the things in this Rumble, um, what in my opinion make it great, but I love it from top to bottom. So I'll, you know, but I'll also try not to just completely suck its dick. All the way through it, but I also will before we get some to the of it will just suck itself <laughs> way. So, uh, before we get to the Rumble matches, well, later on, I will try and run off all 30 names in order if I can. I think I can do it, but you know, don't write as letters. I believe that you can. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I've been doing like a hero montage throughout it, uh, throughout the week, and uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't actually watched the Rumble this week because again, I've watched it so many times in my life that I can kind of know it inside out now. But um, so, yeah, some interesting things about this Royal Rumble uh, to start with is that it doesn't have Vince reeling off the names at the start. Uh, It doesn't have yelling the names at the start, like all 30 in a row on some of those early ones. (laughs) And it doesn't have that theme music that we all know and love. Um, Is that the... Is that, that one? Uh, it, it goes straight into it. Like that's that's how it was aired. So, um, you know, I like that though. It's quite instant. Well, it makes the, it urgent. I think when you look at like Raw and Mania and 
you know, 1993 in general, going off 1992, I think there was, there had to have been a conscious decision to shake things up and make things maybe look a bit more sporty or a bit more alternative or a bit more edgy or something like that. Because, I mean, I know it It feels like a sports event opening like that. I do think that. Yeah. Um, And I know it seems silly to say with the edgy thing, but... And, and and it's not ECW, don't get us wrong, but like, you know, Raw at that time was kind of edgy for WWF. That was a big step for them to do that. Like in the way that Nitro was just as big of a step for WCW when you look at what came before it. Aye, I can say that. Like I think the presentation wasn't as, by 1983, it just wasn't as stuffy and it wasn't as like sort of contrived and you knew what segments were coming next and all that kind of thing. And um, throughout this... It's paced well. Yeah. Usually, I think, 1993 stuff in general is paced well. And throughout the pay-per-view, they they do things that certainly haven't been seen on pay-per-views before in terms of presentation and stuff like that as well. So it's uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan uh, announcing this. This is the last pay-per-view or the final pay-per-view that they would commentate on together. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, the story is that Monsoon wanted to step down his duties a little bit at this point, certainly with the live stuff. Um, and by Mania 9, he was meant to commentate it, but he was <coughs> he was actually ill at that point. So whether Jim Ross was actually originally meant to be a part of that team, uh, you know, I guess is maybe up in the air. Um, but Monsoon was meant to commentate at that. But... Uh, so the dark match for this as well, which is something that I would love to see, is Doink the Clown against Jim Powers. And Doink hadn't had a match on TV at this point. Uh, but I would love to have seen that. I don't think it would have been a long match with it being a dark I didn't match. I realise Jim Powers was still there in 93. I was there until, oh, maybe early 95. Definitely. That makes sense, because I always remember him being on Night Like, Yeah, def- definitely into 94. And he, I mean, if you watch his shit interview... Uh, he, wanted... he has a shoot interview. Everyone's got a shoot interview. Um, he... <laughs> uh, that's quite fun. That's a, that's a niche level that I can imagine you making that shoot interview. Mm-hmm. I would love to interview Jim Powers. Um, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but he wanted to be the. He was a bit resentful of Sean Waltman because of him doing the one, two, three kid thing, getting the upset over his Ramon. He was like, well, surely it should, want, should be someone who's been there for years, who's kept losing matches and then finally get, you know, basically give himself the spot. The, the worm that turned Jobber story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the biggest thing he did in 93 was probably the Raw after WrestleMania 9, which was recorded before that when he faced Jerry Lawler, but it was like a three-part segment where Lawler kept coming out and he wouldn't face Jim Powers and... You know, he didn't like the Burger King chants and all that kind of, and then that. Oh, I remember the Burger King stuff. Yeah, and that basically and then tells you the where, cardboard crowns and the audience and that. Yeah, yeah, and then sadly, it basically tells you where Jim Powers' career was <laughs> in nineteen ninety. Ah, that's a bit sad. <laughs> when that's your highlight, but he um, didn't start winning when he went to Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm still going through the ninety-seven Nitros, and he's still showing up once in the blue moon, which is great. Uh, but I'm, I'm waiting- still getting pinned. <laughs> Yes, he is. Well, there'll come the time where night where Jim Powers just disappears without any explanation. But uh, yeah, um, pinned pinned out of existence. <laughs> um, 
so we'll start with uh, Beverly Brothers against the Steiner Brothers. Now, depending on what version you watch, actually, on the on the Tag Classic version, there is an interview with the Steiner Brothers. It opens with this. In, oh, uh, there wasn't on the network, like. Yeah, it's it's one of those Coliseum video things where uh, Alfred Hayes is interviewing Rick and Scott, and it's basically, you know, we're going to do our best in the WWF, and, you know, the Beverly Brothers have <laughs> to beat us, but they won't, all that. And they uh, make... Alfred Hayes, an honorary member of uh, the University of Michigan, and put the jacket on him and stuff like that. And um, yeah, that was it. I mean, I wish I could tell you there was more to that, but I guess it's not unmissable. Like, <laughs> no, there is one of my favorite Coliseum videos interviews ever is on this, but uh, that is not it. Um, so Beverly's against the Steiners. I'm guessing have they still overdubbed Beverly's music? I have no idea. How, how did the original go? <laughs> But it, by '93, it was that sort of. It sounded like a Sonic the Hedgehog theme. It was like, do, 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 they always have like proper rocking themes, and then they've got this quite farty sounding song, and I'm like, oh, it, it, it like sounds like music off a fairground or something, like off a <laughs> off a carousel. What was uh, what would you? I call don't want it, to get like... on a carousel with Scott Steiner. You know what I mean? That's just weird music. <laughs> well, what do you call it? It's like high school college football team or something like that. That kind of the cheerleaders and all that kind of stuff. There's some fucking old high school kids. <laughs> it's like what Jim Ross's uh, theme is. Um, it's about... Oh, but his is the Boomer Sooner thing. Boomer that, Sooner. that is o- o- Oklahoma college football, that though. Yeah, whether this is actually the, the Michigan theme or not, um, I mean, I don't know. But all I know is eventually Alex the Pug Porto, who you may or may not remember, uh, he was in World Class for a bit and, then, and did some WCW. I show. do remember the name, to be fair. He was basically an amateur wrestler gimmick in 1996 when they were bringing in like the goon and all that kind of stuff. They couldn't just be great worker. They had to be hockey player or... They had to be Robert. shackled by something stupid. <laughs> so, you know, Alex Porto, who possibly had the most feasibly, you know, non-over-the-top gimmick. He was a wrestler. Can you imagine that? Um, he came out with the Steiner Brothers music at that time as well. So I think it was just... No, no, it's, you know, it's varsity music. Just varsity. That's the word, yeah. Um, so... And yeah. When you said about the gimmick changes and that, knowing how ridiculous gimmicks were on the goon time and that, when you said his, his nickname was The Pug, I genuinely expected <laughs> him to be a dog. <laughs> Well, you know, Rick was dog-faced gremlin and it could have been far worse for him in the WWE. <laughs> he could have been like one of them, you know those weird dolls where it was like, imagine if Sting really was a scorpion. Ever wondered what it would be like if John Cena had pincer arms? And you're just like, what the fuck? Do you remember, what were those, the mutant toys or something? Yeah, there was uh, Brock Lobster. Um, <laughs> Shut Sting- <him> up! <laughs> Sting is an actual scorpion. Uh Jake was like a Medusa type thing with like two snakes around his neck. Now, like a very on the nose, um, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind yeah, of that really... was the gimmick I expected. <laughs> um, so Howard Finkel doesn't get the the full name of the Steiner brothers out as well. He's just like Rick and Scott, and then they run into the ring, and uh, 
think he'll make it. so fast it like perms Scott Steiner's hair on the way there, doesn't he? He's like sissy SpaceX when he comes under them ropes. <laughs> that must have been a Vince. No, he had the, the the big hair late WCW, didn't he? Before they came to yeah, WWF. He did, but this looks particularly volumized. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was a Vince thing? Might have been static off a Gorilla Monsoon's velvet smoking jacket, just like <laughs> back combing his hair up. I mean, I can't laugh too much. I swear I had that jacket at college. <laughs> I can imagine that. Uh, you, uh, God, I'm going to drop a name. Do you remember Stephen Calder by any chance? Not really. Okay, I thought he, you said Stephen Caldwell, like the centre half. <laughs> no, no, he 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 went to college and he gave me a red velvet smoking jacket, which I've still got somewhere. Um... Do you throw anything away? <laughs> It's a nice smoking jacket. Look, if I find it, you can can have it. But um, so it's kind of, it it doesn't feel like the Steiner brothers did change their style for WWF matches because this starts off relatively slow. They're not like flinging anyone about. They're not going for like the amateur wrestling move straight away. It's very appeal to the crowd, drag things out a little bit. But um, for me, the match generally, I mean, you forget how big the Beverly brothers are. Mike Enos and die. Uh, they are gigantically tall, like yeah, and and it never ever gets talked about. But the Steiners, I'm assuming there was no. You always, I always think there's heat between the Steiners and whoever they're in with because they just fling everyone about and don't care. Not just because they're brutal as out. <laughs> well, that's the, it, the Dwayne Gill thing. You know, I said to him, it feels like they could just pick you up and put you where they wanted you to if you worked with them. If you didn't work with them, you'd probably get your neck snapped in off. Um, so they were probably safe in that way, but you were probably going to get potatoed um, ah, a fair yeah, bit. And there's so. a couple in this match that stand out. Um, but I, I love like Scott going, like he, he locks up with Bo or Blake and he goes for the single leg thing and he's already got Bo's leg over his shoulder whilst he stood up, ready to go for like Aye. some kind of suplex. And yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun and stuff that WWF audiences are not used to at that point. There's a lot of really cool suplexes, and there's one, you know, where there's, like, after Scott's done the overhead belly-to-belly, Rick, like, catches the Beverly brother. I can't remember which one it is. Mm -hmm. When he's going for some kind of flying crossbody or something and turns it into a proper beastie-looking power slam. Yeah. Uh, Again, the strength of the Steiner brothers is ridiculous, and it feels like they would... if, If their opponents were willing to work with them, I think they would... You know, there isn't much that they couldn't do. I mean, you know, forwarding to Mania 9 where Rick Power slams Samu off Scott's shoulders when he's going for a crossbody <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, I think the Beverly's were... I think they knew their position on the card at this point. They weren't going to win this match. Uh, the genius had just gone. Uh, they were never going to really become the tag team champions ever again or or get the shot to. Like, And if it's crazy that they were the number one contenders at SummerSlam 92 when it should have been like LOD or Money Inc or something like that. But you are lucky the... to ever even walk again after the release German suplex in this. It's probably scary <laughs> oh, yeah. than that. Yeah, we'll definitely get that. One, one of my favourite comments is from Gorilla Monsoon, because they always talk about at the start of a pay-per-view that, oh, sold out, standing room only, and all that kind of stuff. And they talk about like scalping tickets. And Monsoon's like, and we've got to think about the maths of this for a second. He's like, I could have sold my ticket 50 times for what I paid for it for about at about 40 times. So I'm just like, well, well, one, what does that mean? Um, I was gonna say, I have no idea what that means. And two, right, well, if we look at the numbers, 50, he could have sold his ticket 
he could have sold 50 tickets at 40 times what he 40 times what he paid for them. And we're looking at what like front row, maybe quite cheap at that point, but like $50. So 50 times 40 is like two grand. And he could have sold 50 tickets. So that's what a hundred grand? <laughs> this is like Steiner maths is happening. <laughs> yeah, Scott Steiner did help me with that. Um <laughs> but that was it was just one of those things that like because anytime Bobby Heenan was like trying to scalp tickets, Monsoon would stop it. And then uh Monsoon was like, Oh, I was yeah, I was chatting to a taxi driver outside and he wanted to buy me a ticket for 50 times what I paid for it. I'm like, come on. And and monsoon. Like what I, ticket gorilla you sat at the fucking commentary table? <laughs> Imagine if he all right, I'll sell it, I'll take it. There you go. Hello, I'm Joe the Taxi Man. <laughs> Welcome to Royal Rumble nineteen ninety three. I paid a lot of money for this ticket, so I'm commentating. <laughs> or Vince is just on headset going, You try to sell the fucking comps that I gave you for your family, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, there's some fun things in this where like Rick gets tagged in for the first time and he's just jogging around the ring as he would normally do barking and then he'll push Bo off the apron and then just keep running. <laughs> <laughs> I like that as well. And he just like, doesn't break his stride on the way around. Just, whoop, off you can. <laughs> um, My favourite tag team. Oh, uh, yeah. There's, unfortunately, this goes, unmi- this goes untalked about on the, uh, on the commentary and... Um, Earthquake on his way, like I thought that was Earthquake's music there for a second. <laughs> um, it's, it's a iron bruise on its way, but I needed to move from underneath <laughs> the to- toddler's table. I'm sat up to get this microphone on its stand. It's a high end operation we've got going I on. I've got a really, <laughs> my arse has gone to sleep one second. <laughs> so, um, Scott, unfortunately, this match, commentary wise, is used for the announcers just to talk about what's going to happen throughout the rest of the event. They don't really, uh, Big up the Steiners as much as they should, or talk about the match as much as they should. And there's just this tide turning move where one of the Beverly brothers clotheslines Scott, but Scott takes a full on like backflip from this clothesline. And it just doesn't get talked about. And he lands right in his neck. And that was that was the move that changed the um the tide of the match as well. And just Scott sold unbelievably for that. Um I did. And I, and I think as well that when the Steiner brothers sell to that level, that shows a mark of respect from them. And I know they're the new kids on the block at this point, but let's face it, the Steiners, if they didn't fancy staying, they could have went anywhere they wanted to at that point. Oh, and they would have been snapped up in Japan in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm actually surprised they wouldn't. But I mean, I, I guess everyone at some point decides to take the check. And you know what I mean? And finally, they just didn't for very long. <laughs> no, they didn't. And and in with interviews, certainly with Scott, uh, years later, he said the travel was absolutely horrendous like they'd never seen anything like that. No wonder they always look miserable on photo shoots. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just <laughs> yeah, they did not last. Uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable, really, that in that year, by the end of the year, you kind of knew that was it for them. Um, once they lost the return match to uh, the Quebec, they had a match in like January 94 where if they couldn't beat the Quebecers in 10 minutes, they wouldn't get a tag title shot. And it's just like they didn't. Like, you know, they didn't even think. Would, you never get that part of the story. Yeah. You're either like screwed out of it or you beat the clock. <laughs> you don't just go, eh, you lose, go home. 
And it wasn't like there were teams queuing up. I mean, men on a mission, they were kind of over, but they weren't around for long at that point. Surely use your most... Were men on a mission over? They were... To kids. I mean, don't get us wrong. They oh, right, right, right. Aye, aye. Yeah. Um, I always thought they were only like one step up from PM News. <laughs> hey, Oscar could rap. Thank you very much. He did. He made me a rap, so I've got nothing bad to say about Oscar whatsoever. Oh, um, Oscar could rap, but PM News couldn't. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. That's that's, <laughs> that's rapping, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, the... I hope Oscar writes a diss track about me now. <laughs> <laughs> what rhymes with Tempest? Um I've got nothing. This is why I'm not a rapper, you see. This is why I'm not on the never be on the level of of Oscar. So, um, uh, so there's there's a lot of really fun things in this match, like the, uh, like the cat randomly coming into <laughs> the ring and stuff like that. Um, like you say, with the when uh, <laughs> Rick comes in and does that release German on? Uh, I think it was Enos, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was Bloom. Um. Oh, was it Enos? I think he would have took the bump. Uh, but he basically just released German suplexed him. And, like, how that didn't injure him more, like, if at all. I know. wonder Bobby Heenan did the brain scan thing on them at the end. <laughs> um, they definitely would have needed brain scans. It, it is funny to see Gorilla Monsoon not know the names of any of the moves. I mean, that's just prime Gorilla. Um, yeah, but he is the Dusty Rhodes of WWF, like that. <laughs> you know, like when he's always like, "Oh, he got Uncle him." <laughs> like Gorilla's always saying similar stuff. Oh, and he puts him down. He just makes it sound like he's lowering him like a bag of shopping. <laughs> um. So the the one of the highlights of the match is the cat decides to finally take a shit after months uh, after <laughs> hours I should say of not taking a shit um, months. Jesus. <laughs> um, Just wait till Gonzalez comes out, cat. It'll be straight through you like you're a goose. <laughs> so one thing I, I like particularly about the match is because Scott takes the beat down and then tags in Rick, but then Rick takes a small beat down and then Scott comes back in. And the way he just pushes Eva Boa Blake right into the corner, he's like, get the fuck out of there now. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you just couldn't stop the momentum of that. But then that goes directly into the Doomsday Device uh, spot, which is kind of weird as well. I don't know if that was either a subtle nod or wink or piss take or because um, they'd just gone at that point. But um, basically, Scott is too far away on Bo's shoulders or on Blake's shoulders and he's able to victory roll him and then the other the other Beverly misses the flies over the top doesn't he I quite like that it's a really good idea for a move and I don't think I've seen them do that since they were really inventive with not just double team should have poison Ron at him (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine I can actually imagine Scott Steiner doing that the mad bastard (laughs) well that's one thing I loved about them though they weren't just about double team moves offensively they were also like, oh, yeah, do this to me. And then, you know, as a double team, and but then I could reverse it or something like that. Like, they were so, so inventive with uh, what they did. And um, Definitely. Like I say, this as an opener uh, is unlike any kind of opener that they'd done before on a pay-per-view because, yes, you, I mean, you had these sort of fast-paced, high-flying matches with, like, the Rockers and the Orient Express or uh, the New Foundation and all that kind of stuff. But... This was a wrestling match with like very well, with no high flying, really. It was just you know, 
it was psychology 101 really and the Steiners obviously you know the people of California had been watching WCW they must have known the Steiner brothers at that point they weren't just cheering them because they were new face WWF team or anything but NWA like that. used to come to California as well though didn't they they did yeah. those cow palace shows and that yeah um and and even you know they it's always, I don't know if it's a, it's kind of a compliment, but like, you know, it, when even WWF have to acknowledge their history without announce, you know, saying where they've been, they have to say these are like veterans who have beat teams worldwide and stuff like that. Like with Ric Flair. Yeah. Like there's no way you could get around trying to change the Steiner Brothers gimmick, though I would have loved to have been in the meeting where like Bruce Pritchard's trying to, um, you know, suggest some stuff to Scott Steiner or to Rick, for that matter. Um, Bruce on one of his podcasts... What if you were Laurel and Hardy? Fuck <laughs> off, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce said on one of his podcasts that um, Scott was a very... I don't believe this personally, but he said Scott was a very, very, very early pick to win the Royal Rumble match and to go to WrestleMania to face Brett, um, which would have been amazing, but definitely bullshit um because there's no way as well that the steiners were going to come in as anything other than faces as well but i don't think Aye. face versus face at wrestlemania especially with and I, obviously scott steiner big name but not in the wwf and and wwf did have their own dedicated audience as well who probably didn't know who the steiners were as well as those who had watched everything as well and i just don't think it would have had the effect of big villainous heel you know, uh, foreign menace, all that kind of stuff against Brett in WWF uh, land. But I was going to say Brett Hart against Scott Steiner in 1993 sounds like heaven for a main event. Yeah. Did you ever see the um, the Steiners against Brett and Owen from early 94? I don't think so. That sounds amazing. You've got to see it. Um, I'm sure it's a bullshit finish because they didn't want to, you know, put... tag both teams and all that. Yeah, even though the Steiners, again, were on the way out at that point, but it was... It was a Coliseum video. Imagine not putting this on TV. It was a Coliseum video exclusive, uh, WrestleFest '94, I want to say, and it's on the network now uh, because it, it's it shows up on those like unreleased Bret Hart matches or rarities matches and stuff like that. So yeah, it's definitely worth definitely worth checking out. I'll have a look. But um, yeah, so for you, thumbs up for this match. Hundred percent, all the way up. That's great. Um, so next we go to uh, the uh, the Intercontinental title match, uh, Sean against Bobby, and a um, really good video package. Yes. Now this was a new thing for them as well. Actually, something else that was new was Gorilla and Bobby were on open live mics in the crowd, like from commentary as well, because you would never hear the commentators talk if you were in the crowd. And uh, they made the use of the video screen as well and got the audience involved in it, told them the story for those who may not have known. Um, and this was the first time, really, that a video package had Gene Oakland do pre-taped uh, voiceover to explain what had went on. It's usually Gene live backstage talking about clips as they're going on, but this really was a produced video package to... Uh, tell the story of the entire thing and yeah really well done it was and uh it just generally looks pretty cool marty Jannetty should be allowed to pick his own clothes and not be given them by the costume girl because when he comes out in that geek guns and roses shirt with the jeans and that he looks proper cool compared to the weird like tissue paper art <laughs> that he comes out wearing for the match 
<laughs> yeah, we did uh, instantly pick up on that. I mean, Marty as well, he was embarrassed by wearing that uh, outfit. He said that Sean was sleeping with the uh, the costume lady and uh, Marty was not, so he got the rejects. Um, I can believe that story, <laughs> looking at the f- absolute clip of the clothes that Marty Jannetty keeps having to wear in matches. In that video package as well, there was two mirror things that I proper loved. Firstly, Sherry is very game, just getting slammed over the heat with that mirror like that. It explodes everywhere. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I really love Sean checking himself out in the mirror and over his shoulder seeing Marty Jannetty as he rises up into the ring like a good horror film scene. Like when you see the killer in the the mirror of the bathroom cabinet or something behind you. Mm. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was so fun. <laughs> it made me really laugh. And I, I love the like poetic justice of it that like Sean put Marty through the window, so he's going to put him through the mirror and all that kind of stuff. Like just re- like really good storytelling for them at that point. I and, thought it was great. Yeah, uh, and and the thing is, because I know they were meant to face at WrestleMania eight, but. It did the story more justice, the fact that Marty was out for so long. And then when he did make that return, it was it was tremendous. Um, so one thing before Sherry comes out is it's my favorite uh, Coliseum video interview of all time. Sherry's backstage and uh, Alfred Hayes is interviewing her. And uh, he's been really patronizing and misogynist misogynistic towards Sherry um, and I don't think because obviously it's the character but I, Lord Alfred Hayes I don't think needs to do this he's just some posh old bumbling fool who thinks like he's flirting with Sherry so he's just like so uh, you, you know you're possibly going to be in uh, Shawn Michaels corner and she's like oh well maybe and uh, who else is in the match Marty Jannetty oh do you think you might be in his corner oh I don't know you know just like really taking the piss out of him and um <laughs> Like, he's like, so who are you gonna who's gonna you gonna be in? She's like, well, Sean, Marty, Marty, Sean. Hmm, how about none of your fucking business, mate? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh come on, give us a clue. And she's like, fuck off, I have to change my nylons, get out. And he's like, Ooh, oh, I, I have I seen it for the change in the nylons, but yeah, can I stay? <laughs> Just like you're a dirty old get. Get you to do <laughs> how posh he is makes that better. It's like you can imagine him being like, I'm going to sniff these and call you mummy. <laughs> There's like a glint of hope in his eye and just like real excitement that he gets. Oh, I wish that was on the network. It's so good. Why you would save something like that just for the call the same video? But um oh. yeah, I, I loved it. So um Sherry, uh, what I love about it as well is when they go from the 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 video, they go straight into uh, Fink saying this for the Intercontinental title, and Sherry comes out to no music, but it doesn't need it because she's like she's so downbeat. She is, and there's just this air of mystery. You don't know whose corner she's going to be in. I love that she's in the red dress because she's the Scarlet Lady and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, Sherry looks top notch here. Um, she really does. And uh, Heenan makes no uh, bones about saying it as well, which is why I love as soon as she turned, she was like, oh, what a slut. (laughs) 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 But until that point, you know. Um, And again, Monsoon and Heenan are so good at like building up the suspense and building up this soap opera. This is soap opera, WWF, done perfectly. Um, And they could have learned a thing or two from this. This wouldn't have. This is my level of wrestling soap opera. This wouldn't have felt out of place as a storyline in like ECW or WCW with like the Steamboat and Medusa thing and all that kind of stuff. 
Definitely. Um, or, you know, in Jarrett's Cuckold and Mongo as well. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It, it's really like that. Yeah, Jarrett's uh, unfairly slagged off WCW run, which was... Yeah, I, I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And the horseman, all that horseman stuff was tremendous. Um, and we'll definitely get into that. He managed that to be a heel horseman. But, you know, like everyone else <laughs> loved him at the time. He was a dick and they booed him. And then people think that makes him bad. I'm like, no, um, you were meant to boo. We've definitely got to do a bit on some of those uh, forgotten about storylines that aren't just Sting and NWO in 96. Oh, definitely. Um, so, and, and the thing, just the production of WWF at this point, and this is what set them apart from everyone. Marty's music hits right <coughs> after Bobby Heenan gets like his last line in when uh, Heenan's like, Sherry's going straight for Shawn Michaels' corner. She knows it. Uh, or, I know it. You know it. And most importantly, she knows it. And then Marty's music hits. It's just like, I don't know if they planned it, but it's just, again, just it's the perfect. timing it's of cinematic. Yeah, it really is. Sets the scene so brilliantly. But Marty comes out looking like the Michelin tire man. And, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you were if you were Sherry, if this was like, I don't know, um, first date or something like that, or embarrassing bodies or something like that, you'd get one look at that outfit and you'd be like, nope, or take me out or something like that. Um, <laughs> and then this Sean... looks like the exact same outfit that the Zodiac ends up wearing. <laughs> Like, Brutus, do you want this? Yes, no. First answers only. It's yours now. No takey boxes. <laughs> it's one of those outfits that yeah, I, I unfortunately think that Marty probably sold this at like a flea market or like an indie show for about 20 pence or something like that. But um, someone, what, a, a previous interviewer told me that when Marty did indie shows that he would never bring his gear and you would just borrow whoever's gear was, whoever had spare gear at the show. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, That's mental. And it's just, it's just Marty. He's insane. Like, and we've seen the stories and everything. And you know, I got to meet him a couple of years ago, and he's he's really nice and charming and just well spoken. But he has to put on this performance, and I think it's to his detriment because he should be like training wrestlers, or he should have a spot in a company. Or, you know, he, he couldn't be a manager or anything like that, or like a commentator, I don't think. But like he Oh God, can you imagine him commentating? That'd be <laughs> really dangerous. <laughs> but like he would be an asset to any company if his head was on straight. Um Yeah, he could be like a Jerry Lynn type figure backstage, but unfortunately yeah. he's he's more Jerry Lee Lewis when he appears in public and that. Um and, and this match shows you know, it's a, it's a very different type of match to the, the Raw match, which would then win uh, Match of the Air in PWI Magazine. And I totally understand that. Uh, but this is a pay-per-view match. There's longer, you know, and there's more of a story to be told. And um, it doesn't get the due that the Raw match does because, again, this rumble gets written off and it's just a forgotten about Sean and Marty match because there's no title change on it or anything like that. Um but, no, but there's such drama. Yeah, no, there really is. And Sean comes out looking stunning at that because he's not. He's oh, not the golden like, girl, Sean. <laughs> he's not like Rip Sean at this point. He's like slightly bloated, Sean. Um, but the gold and and look, and I'm not judging anyone's fucking shape. You know what I mean? But like, he still pulls it off because again, if you're cocky and you've got the attitude, and you can pull it off, and you just really subtle and sly. And there's a couple of things he does on his entrance, which you noticed as well, which makes him, 
this is why Shawn Michaels was so good. Um, oh, he was meant back then. The gold chaps and the you know uh, the chainmail and all that kind of stuff looks so ridiculous. But it's so ridiculous that you kind of don't notice how ridiculous it is because that's just the character. Um, but when he gets Aye. in, when he gets in the ring, and he's doing the whole like sort of "come on, come on, Sherry, come on," you know, you want to, and Sherry's like proper battered wife interactions <laughs> at him and her have all the way through this, proper scary looking at times. Sherry no sells it, and Sean just acts like, "Yeah, she wants it," you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a very believable, unlikable heel. He does it amazingly well, and, and uh, you're right. He he he, much like me, had mastered the strut and gut. <laughs> And I believe he got into a fight with Marty the night before because you can see a very visible patch of makeup on his face to cover the big swelling under his eye. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I've, I'm sure, again, this was a Pritchard, uh, of the Pritchard podcast, but I'm sure they both got in a load of trouble over that. Um, and, uh, you know, again, credit to WWF that they didn't, uh, the makeup didn't run off or anything. But why wouldn't you put that in the storyline? Why not? I was going to say, I would have just said that things had spilled over so badly. Mm-hmm. That that he'd gone and found him at his home or in a bar or something and punched him in the face, like hundred percent make it part of the story. Yeah, you, yeah. If terrible things are going to happen, I mean, that is the best thing about wrestling is that you can roll with it and decide to just include it. And the when they do do that, it's great, and it also blur, blurs the lines because I can guarantee that would have been in the Observer that week or whatever because it was a real life thing that happened. But um, you know. If you can blur the lines, then that's great. But I guess they just weren't about blurring lines at all at that point. Do you um, know what it always makes me feel like is weird, though? Because for me, it doesn't even have to be like blurring the lines. So wrestling at this time, it's not as much like... I know Raw started, but it's only just started. And it's not like the soapy Raw's war that you got later. So like they present it like it's a sport. But then you get these really over-the-top, ridiculous storylines like this. So then having them fight in the bar makes it seem like kayfabe's still more real. And like it's more important because it's like, what, do you both hate each other that much and fight over Sherry? And then, right, we won't do anything until the next taping in a fortnight. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it, It's not even blurring the lines. It's just like what happens between matches. Yeah, it, it is kind of... I mean, wrestling... AEW have this right that they have separate entrances for the heels and faces because I mean I guess it's never really talked about like let's say uh, you know there's a just a match and there's heel and face it's like well surely they stood next to each other in gorilla like surely they should be wanting to kill each other there um yeah totally yeah it is kind of weird and as my cat does a run in again uh Sonny is in the room not Tammy Sitch um <clears throat> but uh Sonny needs is this to- the cat the chat <laughs> Sonny needs to be quiet um, I was going to say what could lend him Marty Giannetti's ring gear that he came out in a day to wipe with it's absolutely horrendous <laughs> um, I, as with you I enjoyed this match it's a slow build uh, Sean is able to have time to be his cocky self. I mean, he kind of, uh, I, I love Heenan at the start because Sean's taking his time, taking his gear off and all that kind of thing. And Heenan's acting like Sean's playing mind games and like he's already scored some kind of victory over Marty with the mind games. Um, and as the match goes on, Marty injures his shoulder. And uh, it, there's one thing, I mean, you never really see when wrestlers 
have an injury, especially in WWF, like Marty sells it like Ric Flair did. Like there's a camera near him. So Marty's not just in silence selling it. He's like, oh God, like, you know, like. It like it was sense. really hurting. Yeah. And, and 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 I know this shouldn't be revolutionary, but there we are. Um, <laughs> so yeah, very, very enjoyable match. And Sherry's in the corner for, and she's so subtle with her facial reactions, but Heenan's overblowing everything. Like Sherry will just blink for you know because you need to blink and bobby he is like oh no she winked at sean there and it's just like no she didn't nah, like, you know. <laughs> he knows how to wind up monsoon he speaks the heel truth all the time <laughs> one of my favorite heenan lines you know he's like have you never had a woman fall in love with you it happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> um so there's a point in the match where sean and marty are both outside the ring this is when and you never saw this at the time as well where sean is suplexed by Marty from the inside to the outside of the ring, um, which is always the move that gets blocked because it's like, well, surely you can't do that because that'll kill them. And, you know, it, it looks great. And uh, Marty tries to grab Sean to put him back in the ring. But this is the spot where Sherry's coming around. So Sean likes like, get out the fucking way. There's a spot coming here. Um, <laughs> yeah, Marty just completely forgets. And then, uh, one of the pops of the night when Sherry slaps Sean and Sean sells it incredibly. And this is where the drama really picks up because, I mean, this is where you get all the close near falls. Uh, Marty's just on fire at this point. And you don't expect, um, again, just the twists and turns in this match are great. So Sean accidentally back elbows the referee and then Marty grabs Sean and this is when Sherry comes in the ring with her high heel shoe and she miss. And no one expects this. It's brilliant. Sean ducks and she hits Marty. And Sherry, again, this adds to the soap opera feel of it. And you summed this up perfectly because you would expect Sherry, Sherry, who could beat up men and had and was never scared of anyone. This is a different side of Sherry completely at this point. Yeah, she's really... What's the word? She's vulnerable, and that's a really weird way to see Sherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean, um, he backs her into the corner, and <laughs> it's like, you know, tell her what you think of her, and lay it to her, pile driver on the steps and stuff. <laughs> Completely over the top. And then Sean, I don't like this, but Sean super kicks Marty, and Marty does that flippy sell. Um, it's a weird way to sell it. When he, like, turns to the side and somersaults, you're like, what are you doing? I can understand. It looks like how Sean sells for Hogan at that SummerSlam in like 2005. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's too much. I mean, and it takes away... This is why the Mid-South crowd fell out of love with Junkyard Dog because he, right near the end, in Mid-South you had to sell realistically, bump realistically within the context of wrestling, but this is when Dog was doing that whole timber kind of fall. And this was like for a really hot angle and they kind of soured... Uh, the Mid-South crowd on Junkyard Dog because they'd been used to a realistic style of wrestling. And and there's suddenly this clown shirt. Yeah, and a daft bump will kind of take you out of it, especially when it's completely out of context as well. Like when Fatu used to do that flip as well, but he would do it coming off the ropes, taking a clothesline, whereas Marty was stood there and you can't tell me that Sean's kick is so amazing. <laughs> like it makes, it makes someone... you turn and forward flip in a different direction, I know. Maybe it's weird, do, isn't it? Do you think this is Marty not wanting to lose, or in, in the is way it that Marty Michaels... not wanting to make Sean look good? 
potentially. So it's like the moment's forgotten because it looks like shit. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's not one of my favourite things. It didn't really get a reaction from the crowd. Uh, this is the first match where Sean actually wins by super kick because that wasn't his finisher at that point. It was a teardrop suplex, um, which he kind of dropped sometime in 93. And it never really got, it never got given a name. Um, and it was rarely even acknowledged as a finisher as well. He would kind of grab you by one leg and then just kind of fling you backwards. Uh, that apparently is a teardrop suplex. Again, I'm not Joey Styles. Uh, this, you know, it's just called that in the programs where they're talking about <laughs> Shawn Michaels. Um, and immediately Sherry runs off. And this has got to be another first for. WWF programming or pay-per-view where they follow her backstage and Jean's trying to calm her down, which is really funny. And Sean notices her on the screen and runs after her. And you think that's going to be it as well, because again, once they run past the curtain, they usually just It's like you've gone into the vortex of pro wrestling, (laughs) never to be seen until next week. (laughs) Yeah, I I love it as well when someone's running and they forget to stop or they stop running right before they hit the curtain or sort of as they're going through it or there's an entrance way where, you know, they think they're not being seen anymore and it just ruins the whole... (laughs) Yeah, and then they walk up the step. Uh, Yeah, so... um, Gino is just like, damn it, Sherry, calm down. You are hysterical. And you can hear the crowd laugh at Gene Oakland being like just completely over the top. And then Sherry gets out the line and you can barely hear it uh, to Sean. You said you loved me. And that's when Marty comes in and jumps on Sean. And it's, oh, it's so good. Like, it's I such thought a that gym. seemed quite gritty and modern for 1993 WWE. Yeah, um, and one thing that you noticed, which I've, I've noticed for ages, but I love that you notice it as well, that the orange, there's a randomly placed orange that goes fly, <laughs> flying into the air. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, that extra drama. Well, of course. It's better than the random like metal bin that was in, that was in the, the <laughs> locker room for the O&R beatdown. I much prefer just a phantom flying orange. <laughs> Um, and, and this is something that they would start doing a lot more on pay-per-views as well, is have the backstage fights. This was really the start of this. But, you know, you can't tell me at that point that they they may not... I don't know. They were probably looking at WCW at this point, but I think this is they had enough names from different territories, from Waters Territory or from Paul Bosch or from wherever. And maybe Vince is starting to listen more because it's starting to feel not the WWF that you're used to at this point. And maybe Vince realizes he has to listen because I mean, people like Jerry Jarrett's coming in, Jerry Lawler, he didn't have creative sway at this point, but I'm sure he offered ideas and it, it's no um, coincidence that Monday night raw about a month later, does a very, very poor Tupelo concession stall uh, brawl uh, concession. It's stand got brawl. to be because of Jerry or, or Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I always so, forget that when I go to say them. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, they're both Jerry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great stuff. Uh, and on the Coliseum video, uh, it goes to an Undertaker interview. And you've seen Royal Rumble interviews. It's like 30-man, one winner. Don't throw me over the top rope. I'll fucking survive. And sh-. You could do like a drinking contest based on these interviews. Yeah. Um, catchphrase, pause, and growl. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the live broadcast, which is never shown anywhere else, uh, they do the headlock on hunger 
advert and they do slicked as a sermon <laughs> they insisted on having this on pay-per-views uh, they did it at survival season i don't remember well. this on the pay-per-view like it's only on the live broadcast uh, they didn't feel fit oh, to right. it. i don't think it's on the network like no no it's not no because the network shows the anthology version because that was already digitized at that point um right so slick does a serve because the thing is they go to the the boss man bigelow match after which this is good which is very good and out of context you hear grill monsoon say to bobby heenan oh, i gather you'll be at madison square garden this friday and that was the event they were advertising for the headlock on hunger but out of context you don't know what the fuck they're talking about you just know they're doing the show <laughs> like, but i all right then <laughs> So Bam Bam Guessing you will too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Bam Bam will be there as well. And I think the main event was Bam Bam against Brett at that uh at match that show. Fun. Yeah. Oh Bam Bam and Brett always had tremendous matches. Again, this is something that could have feasibly happened in WCW, but I don't think it ever did. Uh I don't think I don't it ever think it did either. No, uh, that's a shame. Um so Bam Bam's still new in at this point, but they had to acknowledge that he was returning because, you know, people aren't stupid. They, he'd been know, there in the 80s, hadn't he? Yeah, he had. And he more recently had been in WCW for a little bit and then went to Japan. Right. Um, and I think, to be honest, his WCW stint was definitely more forgotten than his 80s WWF stint because he was teaming with Hogan in the main events and stuff like that. Whereas, Aye. you know, Bam Bam was at Capital Combat 90 and that's cut out of the tape. So... I didn't realise until a lot longer later that I'm sure he was managed by Humperdinck again as well, like he was in WWF, but as heels, which worked a lot better. Because, <laughs> because Piglow's face never really worked for me. I don't know, I thought he worked in 2000 as a face, but you could just be a badass then. Was he? A, yeah, I didn't realise he was a face. Until, was this when he was feuding with uh, Sean Stasiak? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up him tattooing <laughs> Sean Stasiak. <laughs> Someone who... Oh, I, I'm going to tattoo that pretty, pretty little bitch or whatever he says. And he like, <laughs> goes to hand over Stacey and he's like, I don't mean Stacey. <laughs> Amazing. Unbelievably not in the Hall of Fame um, yet. And under sham, a leg- sham. Uh, yeah, under a Legends contract, thankfully, because so at least we're getting new toys of them. And they brought out an, an amazing WC... His last figure, his latest figure was WCW Grey Flamed. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so it is cool that they're acknowledging all... Because in terms of, like, mainstream attires outside of Japan and stuff like that, not a lot of recognisable attires, really. Uh, so I'm glad that they're kind of covering all eras. And they, they made a figure of this match as well, the 1903 uh, Rumble. It's where he's got the inversion of the flames and the black. Yeah, it's kind of... Um, there's not much detail on... Uh, uh, again, we're getting... This is our this is our attire review that we get. We seem to be doing on every on every show, but this is kind of like plain yellow. Um, there's no like blue in there or anything like that. It's kind of quite plain compared to what would come, I guess. But I didn't uh, really like this this look as much as some of the other ones. You know, where it's like mostly black then with flames on, and like as you say, the bits of blue, like it's a, got gas in the flame or something. It's a bit cartoony. I mean, one noticeable thing is like on the waistline, the flames went all the way around the waist, and they kind of took up a lot of the gear at that point. They didn't oh, really they look did. like you know they didn't look like flames as much. But uh, could have yes. been a flower board around <laughs> 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 his belt. <laughs> so uh, Bigelow against Boss, and this is Bossman's final. Uh, pay-per-view appearance until his return 
If WWE Last time teams. you hear that great, great Jimmy Jameson theme. Yeah, so good. And he is... After he beat Nails, there wasn't anything for him at that point. He was kind of... The three matches that I know of that he had were against Bigelow, which he lost, against Doink, which he lost, and against Yokozuna, which he lost. Uh, other than that, and he was gone not long after that and did some Smoky Mountain stuff. And uh, I, I told you about what Cornette said. He spoke to Bubba in 93 and he was like why aren't you with WWF anymore and he's like he didn't want all of the controversies to affect his gimmick because he's a policeman <laughs> so I, he's uh, yeah Ray Trailer, what a guy you know he was the best man at Terry Ronald's wedding I did not know that but that's really fun yeah they were really close apparently which is yeah he's the same oh, era though wasn't it she was like a makeup girl when when he debuted oh and the must yeah yeah during that time because I was uh, I should have known better. I thought you were directly diving into Attitude Era, but obviously not. Oh, shit. Sorry. No, I was going straight back. <laughs> hey, Crockett with me there. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. No, fair enough. And the thing is, you know who really gave him his first chance? Dusty. Um, yeah. Because uh, he was a job. Well, he wasn't. He was kind of. He wasn't jobbing. He was kind of just. He was winning matches, but nothing of note. And then Dusty saw him as like, right, gotta make something for you, kid. And um, <laughs> took him off TV for a while, cut his hair, um, changed his look, and then he turned into Big Bubba, the silent. Put pair. the poor bastard in a suit, <laughs> like a real suit. Imagine being as huge as Bubba and having to wrestle in a suit. Yeah, not it, a wrestle suit like IRS wore either. Just like a big wool suit. Well, that's the thing. IRS said those pants and shirts were made for him to either absorb sweat or they weren't like just so I mean rustle suits yes, rustle suits yeah um so there are a couple of really fun corner stories about uh about boss because the, the debut to get Bubba over dusty fucking horse collars boss man with or Bubba with the chair they didn't even knock his hat off <laughs> the chairs around his neck and he just straightened his hat picks the chair up and dusty's like oh fuck baby <laughs> <laughs> So um, Bubba, he was told, don't sell anything. And he's he's stood outside and there's a taxi driver that he's, he's getting out of the taxi in, with Cornette. And, um, oh, I know the story. Yeah, Cornette oh, slams no. the door on fucking Bubba's hand and it doesn't latch. <laughs> it doesn't latch, otherwise it would have took his fingers off. But he's so soft-spoken. You know what his voice is like, that kind of high-pitched southern voice. Um, that he was just like, uh, sir, you're black. And, and then he notices it and he was just like oh shit right no opens it doesn't sell it when he gets in the arena he's fucking on the ground like of course he is he just had his fucking hand slammed on a door what a hard bastard I love boss man's voice as well I thought he sounds class there's a when he very first came in um, and I've I've recorded this because it was it was a prime time or something it was like July 88 they pitch shifted his voice and I've got a video of this and I have to show they you pitch shifted it because they must have thought it was too high, I guess. Like in the way that no the way, yeah, yeah. No one remembers this, but I've I've recorded it specifically, and I'll have to send you the video. But um, yeah, he was uh, he was amazing, and you you, you know, Starcade uh, eighty six, <laughs> and Dusty's like you know to corner his like so Bobby, you'll take the little bump off the scaffold, twenty foot, you know, a little like, bump, yeah. a little bump off the scaffolding. Yeah, so then there's the two phrases that don't go together. <laughs> <laughs> Little bump, scaffolding. Uh-huh. 
So yes, then I'll take the bump up the scale, a little bump. And uh, Jimmy, I want you to climb up there and then you'll take the bump and Bubba will catch you like they catch the girls at the football game. <laughs> and then Jim I don't remember any to... girl's knees exploding at football <laughs> games. Like, <laughs> Well, he's trying to picture this because Dusty can sell you anything. And he's just like, right, okay. So they'll fucking, you know, so Bubba, he's telling Bubba, stand underneath, hold your arms out and then we'll both drop and roll to the left or something like that. So fucking... <laughs> Eva Bubba just fucking gets lost in the lights or something, but his arms are too fucking far apart. Jim went, goes through his arms. Luckily for Jim, hits his head off Bubba's legs, serving as like an anesthesia to the fact that his <laughs> leg went. When you're fucking... fortunate to get a concussion, you know, it's not a little bump. And um, he's, I mean, he's selling because he can't move or talk or anything. And Bubba, he's still fresh at this point. He doesn't know. And, uh, He's like, oh, Jimmy, I love the way you sell. And Jimmy's Jim Cornette's just like, Bubba, I'm shooting. I'm shooting. <laughs> Bubba thinks he says he's shitting, that he's just selling. You know? <laughs> he's just like, oh, you're great. And then at the end, because he, he can't get his voice out, and he's like, Bubba, fucking take us back now. And then he's like, oh, Jimmy, you're hurt. Like, you know, in that sort of high-pitched <laughs> seven voice. <laughs> oh, what a guy. Oh, he's amazing. So and I'm just watching the 97 WCW stuff where he just left the NWO, and he's just you know, Ray Trailer at that point, but he looks hard and he shaved his head and, you know... Trailer Trash is the best name the Boss uh, Man Slam ever had as well. Yes, I agree with that. Um, so anyway, this match... <laughs> in any other... I guess it's... Now, if you because you would say best big men, they, them two would be well up in that list and you would think, oh, dream match. It would have been a very different match in WCW. It probably would have been like... Oh, I would have loved it if this happened in WCW. It would have been like one of those like Vader and Cactus type matches. Without a doubt. And again, you know, past like ships in the night. I don't know how early Bubba left in 98. Um, But but Bigelow came in, what, late 98, I want to say? Um, Or was it 99? I think so. It might actually be in 99, you know, because the Jersey Triad's definitely 99. Mm. But again, like... Bossman or uh, Bubba would have fit in perfectly, in, as he did in WWF. Would have fit in with the WCW Hardcore Division, really. Oh, well. so well with Nobs and them. Nobs yeah. is oh, pretty fun. Haku, on the show and, as well. Haku and Finley and all them, just like oh, perfect. Yeah, so amazing. So this is this is a great match. It's just, I mean, they're they're, they're so agile. And they understand psychology so well. And it's blatant. You can tell who the heel is, who the face is. Like, Bossman is so... He was better at being both a face and a heel than, I would say, Bigelow was. Like, Bigelow, amazing heel. But I think Bossman knew how to, you know, adapt. Because, uh, again... Yeah, though, whether again, he's though, a Bigelow, heel or a fit... Sorry. So, well, I was going to say, Bigelow in WWF as a face had to play a trumpet behind Hulk Hogan or wear a daft jacket. <laughs> and, uh, his hands, I forgot so about that. It didn't exactly give Stand away. Stand back! Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Sorry. Oh, man, that was bad. No, no, God. <laughs> forgot all about that. But um, I, I was going to say, because his character would usually just be he was intimidating, and that's the majority of his character, so you could be a face like that in 99 and 2000. You could be a heel other times, but you're not, like, winding the crowd up the way that trailer would. Or, yeah. or boss man, I should say, at this point. Yeah, well, he comes into it with probably a legit injured hand um, because Bigelow doesn't work on the hand throughout the match, but they talk about his hand being taped up and stuff like that. Um, but it's just everything you could want it to be. And it unfortunately, it's the come down match between the two title matches. 
like it's unfairly placed on the card. Uh, uh, it's not throwaway, this. Yeah, definitely not. And it's unbelievable that Bossman wasn't on a Monday Night Raw during that time that he was there. Uh, like I say, he mm. had maybe one Superstars match. Get, and I think it was against Doink, and he lost in like two minutes. And he's on the rest of the Seems weird, around. the idea of Doink beating Bossman. Yeah. Uh, well, again, I, I guess Bossman, the must have knew he was on his way out, so he had to just job to people. But just get that's, jobbing now. That's why that WrestleMania album's like fascinating because like Bossman's on it, Nasty Boys are on it. Like there's people on there who were gone midway through the year. And um I don't think the WrestleMania album had even come out in the UK at that point. Um and Bossman's Bossman's on it. So uh, you know, you kind of like I guess maybe he's a bit handicapped by it, but like I, I think WWF basically ignored that album until it got a, its American release, like in the summer. But again, Bossman's still on it. Um, with that, it, it's his theme music, but it's a poppy stock ache and a Mortman version of his theme music. But at least they kept his theme music instead of just. I don't remember this. Like, have Bret Hart sing a love song. I mean, it's as it's as if close. You only knew. <laughs> it's as close to his theme as you can get. I don't think you'd be you'd be personally offended too much by this. <laughs> right okay but uh yeah the the match is great and uh bam bam pins him cleanly and uh you know look at how much air Bossman gets when he gets stun gunned as well yeah or as they call it a leveraged clothesline which is a bizarre <laughs> name for that move it's like what the hell does that mean first of all and at what point is this a clothesline it's very odd because is it, it, is it leveraged because the clothesline is by the rope? Well, I guess because the rope looks like an actual clothesline, maybe. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. It's a pretty I'm, strange thing to say, though, isn't it? I'm definitely reaching there. But uh, you, one thing, I mean, no ego with Ray Trailer whatsoever. I don't think he had any qualms about putting anyone over. Um, oh, no. Nah. He's a consummate professional. Yeah. Well, as you can tell, we can't say enough good things about Ray Trailer. <laughs> I absolutely love Big Ray. <laughs> and we might have to do something on him as well, I think. because <laughs> That would be fun. We'll basically <laughs> we have a lot to say about him. <laughs> I was going to say, we've basically done a show on him at this point. But um, <laughs> yeah, but sadly, again, this is the kind of match that you think would lead to a programme or a house show run or something like that. But I think, unless I'm wrong, I don't recall any other boss man... Uh, Bigelow match ever and it's possible they could have faced in 88 when Bossman was a heel but again ships in the night I think Bam Bam maybe left around June Bossman came in in July yeah that does sound right that does sound right that was the first part of Royal Rumble 1993 and I know there's the title match and other things to come as well but uh, we uh, feel that it like I love that show so much in the way that if you we... could stop it here it's an amazing show actually no you still got the main event but like nothing bad has happened yet people will be like what was he talking about at the beginning well if you if you believe me it's one of the greatest events of all time but uh... you'd also be a mug <laughs> I've watched that event probably, oh, I don't know, the 88, no, sorry, 89, 93, and 97 are probably my three most watched Royal Rumbles. Like, do you have a most watched Rumble, would you say? Um, unfortunately, bloody Royal Rumble 2000, but not by my choice. Yeah. Like, I did enjoy the pay-per-view, but that was another one where it was like, one of my mates was always like, oh, do you know what I should put on? You know, Royal Rumble 2000, I <laughs> fucking know. I've seen that so many times, I never need to see that again. But, um, yeah, I was going to say probably 97 and 92. 
Yeah. Although I, I do quite, there's one of the 80s ones I quite like. I think it's 89. Yeah, well, 88 was the only other one, and that was the, the straight-to-TV one, and it's not not special, you know what I mean? And um, But the 2001, again, depending on opinions, it's another one of those rumbles that if everything stopped before the rumble match started, it would have been one of the greatest events of all time. But that rumble I, match kind of dragged a little bit, except for the two cool dance and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we, we did have the opposite when we reviewed that show, didn't we? Like, you have such good memories of the show, and then you're watching it, and you're like, fuck me, I forgot how boring that rumble match is. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's what this year's rumble was like, because all I've seen is the rumble matches, so I know it was boring. But the rest of it might have been really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm being optimistic. You're being optimistic. probably wasn't. Well, R- Rumble 2000 doesn't help with the fact that every time Lola's like, oh, is it the Rock? Is it the Rock? Is it the Rock? No, it's not. It's just fucking like There's else. more match to get on with. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that- hardcore bastard Holly. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first half of uh, the Royal Rumble night. I guarantee no one ever in the history of podcasting has done a two-parter on Rumble <laughs> So, um, you know, and it, it, things only get better from here on out, if you take my opinion. But... Um, I always have to put that caveat in there. Uh, there's Giant Gonzalez, there's Lex Luger. Oh, it's just amazing. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this uh, week's episode of Turn Chuckle. Much more to come also on the Chala Toys podcast as well. Looking forward to bringing you some amazing interviews. Uh, we, m- myself and Tempest, will be... Do- uh, coming up with a lot more fun ideas for shows for upcoming Turn Chuckle episodes. We'll be able to do this in person together as well, which will be great. Uh, helps with... Fl- like, I think some of our best episodes have been us sat in the room. Oh, well, probably. Together. Uh, but yeah, what's... It's the- an extra special atmosphere when you're both in the same room the cat shits in. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Febreze has been at hand uh, throughout this entire episode. So what do you have coming up? Sweet fuck all. <laughs> You've got music stuff coming up. Uh, it's the same stuff as last week, though. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> but it's, st- it's still coming up. I'm this assuming like- you're a loyal loyal listener if you're hearing my voice right now. You haven't just been like, I desperately need to find something about Royal Rumble 1993. Oh, my God, there's going to be a part two as well. I promise part two is going to be... Amazing, uh, as was part one. Because... I have a feeling it will be. <laughs> <laughs> amazing can cover a wide umbrella of emotions and feelings, can't it? Like, it's like, yeah, it's one of those words like unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, I want to thank you for listening to my own. This is my love letter to Royal Rumble 1993. I don't think it'll write back. Um, it's gonna I... fucking ghost you, that's why you're gonna have to send another one next week. <laughs> Oh, I'm Carlos Cologne, Max Moon. Oh, it's all happening. It's all happening. Um, so, yes, I want to thank you all again for tuning in to this week's episode of Tone Chuckle on Grapple Arcade, and we will see you all next week. Bye.